pediatrics respiratory system so under here we do 200 topics to complete the pediatric respiratory system among them we're going to do 14 disease conditions 14 disease conditions and we will do six um procedures six treatment procedure to manage uh, respiratory disorders in pediatrics now in these conditions we talk about it is our duty if we want to pass the end if we want to understand the system for pediatrics in the end class we must cover these conditions we must know them in and out every time you are done with a particular disease condition in the book that like I always told everyone here is that when you done with the topic you want to have a recap you want to rehearse what you've done if you cannot rehearse what you've done without looking in the book you've not studied yet you got to cover the book and say okay um laryngotracheal bronchitis what is it it is this condition that this is going to happen, that's going to happen, the sign, the basic sign symptoms are this, that you need the basic sign symptom. What are the treatment concerns under laryngotracheal bronchitis, epiglottitis, asthma, other the croup, the, the entire croup disorders? If you are able to catalog these disorders, you are able to discuss them, not in detail, I mean like just the basic about them, because guess what's going to happen? You want to understand the basic nursing knowledge surrounding these conditions. You want when these conditions appear in the end class, there should be there should be something that you are confidential about. You should build your confidence once you see this condition because confidence is a big thing in the end class. Our confidence is a very big thing in the end class. When we lost our confidence, we tend to build up anxiety. And the only thing that can help us to eradicate testing anxiety, testing fears, is by knowing our content of the materials. That's exactly what we need to drive away anxiety. That is our anti-anxiety medication. So, we have to look at these things in detail. Now, um, in detail, we'll, we'll look at epiglottitis. That's the first condition we look at. Epiglottitis. We'll look at laryngotracheal bronchitis. We'll look at bronchitis itself. We'll look at bronchiolitis. We'll look at um, also, we'll take a look at pneumonia. In pneumonia, we'll look at bacterial pneumonia, aspirational pneumonia, viral pneumonia, and other related topics under pneumonia. Then we'll move on to look at asthma. Asthma is a big condition in the English because it is an airway problem, it's an airway condition. We'll look at asthma, the do's and don'ts about asthma. Everything about asthma, we'll look at it in detail. Then we will look at also um, cystic fibrosis in our, in our quest to complete this particular outline. Then we'll go ahead, we'll take a look at uh, 
um, sudden infant death syndrome. We look at foreign body aspiration. What happening in there? We we'll take a look at uh, other conditions like uh, you have conditions like um, we we'll look at um, other air, upper airway conditions. We we'll take a look at acute and infectious illnesses like tonsillitis, tons, uh, the tonsillitis and the procedure tonsillectomy. We we'll look at um, Common respiratory illnesses, we'll, we'll take a look at nasopharyngitis. We'll look at uh, about 14 of them or 15 of them, croup disease condition. We'll look at what makes up the croup disease condition, what are the prevention and other things. Then we'll take a look at the procedures, those procedures that, that we'll look at, um, we'll talk about this system. What are the procedure in there? We'll look at oxygen and inhalation therapies, like the pulse oximetry. We'll look at um, nebulized aerosol therapy. We'll look at the meter dose inhaler, the dry powder inhaler. We'll take a look at chest physiotherapy, chest PT or CPT as you may call it for short. Then we'll look at uh, like uh, the mechanical airway therapy, like we'll look at a uh, trick and ventilation we we'll look at suctioning and then we will be done with um this particular system now if we go in this faction and complete this topic we'll, we will have had a completer version of the entire respiratory condition for the pediatrics and when we are going into it we should be able to like open our mind follow the rules do as much as possible to read everything about this condition because these are conditions we want to see in the end that we need to see and know much about them. So, any question so far? Um, I have I have I have one question, but let me wait and see whether I'm gonna get a question or we'll look at anything specific before we go down to this lecture. Any questions so far? Now, um the question I posted last night, if you did those questions, there are a lot of things that are beneficial to our quest to, towards the English. If you did not do it, I urge you to go back and do them because tonight I will post new ones for what we're discussing today and what we'll discuss tomorrow. We need extra timing. We need extra timing. We need this extra time because we have to make it to the endless. We have to get there in peace and complete what we need to complete to pass the endless. Um, somebody sent me a question. Let me just read the question out and let's see uh, what could be our answer. Now, uh, the question came in this faction. A nurse is admitting an infant with asthma. The nurse understands that asthma is infant. Asthma in infants is usually triggered by a medication. Option A says medication. Um, B says a viral infection. A viral infection. Option C says um, exposure to cold. Exposure 
to code and D option says allergy to dust or dust mites. Allergy to dust. Allergy to dust or dust mites. Now, um, let's understand something here. So in this question, so what could be our correct answer and why this is our correct answer? I said D. D. I like it to dust or dust or dust particles. Now, in a contrary view. D is it because uh, if it was a screen a screen is something for asthma, but it just said cool. Okay. Okay, and our contrary view. Yeah, I'm on the word. You got medication on there. There are some medication that triggers asthma too. I agree. So, which one is the correct answer? So, you choose medication. Question, right let's be honest all the answers are correct medications can cause asthma can can can, exas can exacerbate asthmatic attack some drugs can do that any infection that will attack the airway system can also exacerbate or can also stimulate asthmatic attack when you're exposed to cold that's why asthma can be very prevalent during the cold season. It also can uh, stimulate asthmatic attack. Allergens, dust, pollens, perfume, bad odor, some good odor within the environment can also stimulate asthmatic attack. Now, among these particular options, we will be filled with so many of such scenarios in the end list. And what's going to help us is our idea from answering uh, past questions and how we analyze this question. Among this option, when you reach to the endless and you see that an, an option, you see that all the options sound correct. You are looking for the correct most option. And the correct most option is the option that if that option is not managed, it might cause a serious complication to the person or it might be life-threatening complication or life-threatening option. So the most life-threatening option under here becomes the correct answer. I repeat, in our endless quest, we'll see questions that all the options will be correct. The correct most answer that we are to pick to be correct for that question is the question that posts more threat or the option that posts more threat to the patient's life? So let's let's analyze another one. Among these options, which one posts the most serious threat to the patient's life? So this answer is, is wrong. Let's see among which one posts the most serious threat to the patient's life. I mean, I would say cool. Cool. Okay. I would say, I would 
Someone say infection. Now, when you are exposed to coal, um, it is not very, very much uh, stimulated. Uh, it's not. It's not a stimulant to the asthma, asthmatic condition compared to a viral infection. Let's take for example COVID nineteen. A very good example, COVID-19. Let's take, for example, the bread flu, SARS. Let's take, for example, pneumonia. Just think about all of the infection. Infection as a whole has a huge part of play on asthma than any other thing in this question. Among those infections that we talk about generally, viral infections are the most general infection type of airway. So in this question, the correct answer is the viral infection. That's the correct answer. If we had a viral infection, now infection will pose threat to the patient. The viral infection, most of the viral infection will attack our airway system. Remember, you have HIV and AIDS. Why is the co-mobility um, uh, for HIV and AIDS? One of the co-mobility for HIV and AIDS is what? It's tuberculosis. That's an airway infection. You have so many infections that has a root from viral or viruses that can attack the airway when you have low immunity. So in this question, the correct answer is the viral infection. Now, allergy, we can treat allergy without, without, without going to serious complicational threats. Cold exposure, not all the time you're exposed to cold, you're going to have asthmatic attack. Medication, not all the drugs that will expose you to, to asthmatic attack. But viral infection, 99.9% .9 of viral infection will attack your asthmatic condition. It will, it will exacerbate it. It will make it get worse. So in that, so for that reason, our correct answer is this viral infection. So we see this question, we will encounter so many different questions like this in the English. Our quest to analyze the question, not just uh, because we see it, no. Let's think that we have this option, all, all the options are correct. Everything sounds very correct in, the, uh, in this question, but the correct most one is the viral infection. So when you have questions like this in the English, you don't have to rush to pick up the, the correct answer. You have to analyze to get the correct answer. So we'll see a lot. And the reason why I can post this question in the group is because I want to look at them and answer them and rehearse them and analyze the way how the questions are being answered. We sometimes it might not make sense to us from our lay member for looking at it, but it is it is similar when you look at it from a medical point of view. Now, in, in the English, two things are going to happen in the English. One is, and now will cause the patient to die early, to get any complication, to progress in the condition. We want to take it as a priority. And now will prevent an illness that will create ease for the patient, make them to get well sooner, is also a priority in disease prevention. So let's remove these things as we go along.
Any, any question? Okay, so let's begin with uh, the airway procedures. Now, there are procedures that one look one look at uh, these procedures and other things under the system. So, O2 is used to maintain adequate perfusion or circulation in our body because it helps us um, when it comes in, it gives the cells the strength to move around, to live and carry on their daily function. So without oxygen, we cannot live because the cells need oxygen to make life. Without oxygen, we're going to go into serious complications and death will be the end result. Now, pulse oximetry is the method or the medium in which we use to know whether we are having good O2 saturation or not, we are having good perfusion or not. Now, there are other common uh, there there are other common treatment methods that we use um, to enhance our O2 exchange in our body. Like we have, for example, the aerosol the the nebulized aerosol therapy. We have like a, the meter dose inhaler, the dry powder inhaler, all of these procedures like suctioning and other things, O2 therapy, all of these procedures can help us to create a pitting airway and for us to breathe normally. Now, um, pulse oximetry is used for variety of of variety of variety of situation um, to help us to exchange gases in our in our body or to know how much perfusion we are having in our body now they have ranges for pulse oximetry um these ranges uh, start from uh, the highest 100 percent to 89 so anything below 89 is not good for us so below 89 is life-threatening it needs to be taken with seriousness and we need to involve some medical um, method to save our perfusion. Now, the regular and expected range for a normal person is between 95% to 100. That's the normal and regular range. If you drop below 95, 94, 91, 92, 93, 94, between there is still acceptable. If we drop to 90, now, then we start to worry. If it drops below 89, that's a problem. That's why when a child is on trach and ventilation, of uh, trach and vent, and uh, they have the oxygen prop on their finger or any part of the body or on the, or on the finger, on the toes, on the earlobe, any part of the body that they have the oxygen prop, when the prop number drops below 89, what happens? It aligns. So you, you say you say you're hearing an alarm coming up, pam, 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 because it means that this number it is not acceptable in the case of O2 saturation. It is not acceptable. So that's why when it drop at below 90, the more it drop below 90, you get it's start to it start to alarm, pam, pam, pam. So now normal range is between 100 to 90. The very the, the most normal range is between 95 to 100 percent in between here. If it drop below this number, it's still fine. It's not bad. It's manageable. We just monitoring. So after everything, 
if it drops below 90, then it becomes a problem. Now, for any reason, if it drops below 85, meaning that's a serious problem, a very serious airway problem. Below 85 is a very serious airway problem. Um, anything below 85 is life-threatening emergency, just so we know that. Now, <clears throat> along the way, we have what we call the nebulized aerosol therapy. Now, this nebulized aerosol therapy can be used to do so many things. Um, it's called the nebulized um, aerosol therapy. Now, this particular nebulized aerosol therapy, it is a process of nebulization um, wherein we use a machine to break up medication particles, like medication found particle that is blown or that can be blown into our airway to create a lot of, uh, to create a lot of uh, moisturization, to open the airway, to dilate our bronch, our, our bronchi, and to bring us some form of relief. That's why we, we, we do the nebulized aerosol therapy. Now, <clears throat> these particles that are breaking up and introduced into our airway, they go in, in the form of droplets or fine droplets created by the inhaler. Then they get dispersed into our airway and while they are there, they are, they are absorbed by the uh, our airway mucosa linings to get in there and create airway dilatation or bronchi dilation so that we can breathe correctly or normally now this this condition we want to have in airway problems like i just talked about more than they can create airway constriction so we need methods that would will, will, will carry on to dilate our airway then which is mostly our bronch our bronchi that's why we have bronchodilator because bronchodilators are those medications that will open up our airway when conditions have subjected us to have a constricted or narrow airway. Now, in this particular nebulized aerosol treatment, um, we have to prepare the client for this particular therapy. First of all, we must instruct the client and the family uh, that the treatment can take at least 10 to 15 minutes. That's the duration of all nebulized aerosol therapy. Between 10 to 15 minutes. Now, numbers, I will repeat, numbers are important in the English. Then, we should determine if the child should use a mouthpiece, a mask, or a blowback. Now, mouthpiece, mask, or blowback, everything has different reasons why we are using them. The mouthpiece, the blowback, or we're going to use a mask. Now, everything has different uh, indication when it comes to nebulized aerosol treatment. We're going to come to it very shortly. Now, we should perform a pre-procedure assessment. Every time you have to do a procedure with a client, whether it is an airway or any other procedure, you have to do the pre-procedure assessment. The pre-procedure assessment is you are going to look at two things. You will look at the machine to see whether it is adequately good or it is 
all the equipment parts are present and is functional and look at the client condition why the client does not have any contract indication to to carry on the procedure in the end class if we are ever faced with a problem whether it's a feeding tube whether it is a blood or, 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 or whether it's a blood tubing a blood machine a feeding machine it is an error machine <clears throat> whenever the machine alarms the first thing we do is we tend to look at the individual before the machine when there's a problem in machine between machine and the patient our top most priority for assessment becomes the patient this question you don't see the end class it will not come in black and white they're going to bring it to you in different case scenario and you have to like figure out but the bottom line is in the end class when we have this question a machine versus a patient go and assess the machine alarm what would the nurse do immediately <clears throat> a assess the patient b assess the machine c call the doctor d do this your first priority is are you okay check the patient everything everything is okay before you go to the what to the machine before you take phone to call doctor that's the sequence of event of occurrences that, that, that we have to go through in the end place. Now, so we got to do pre-procedure assessment, assess the patient, while the patient is ready to take the, to, to, to carry on the procedure and assess the equipment that's going to be doing the procedure. Then we also look at the client vital signs. Vital signs in this condition, we have to have a baseline vital sign, which are the indicators of our health status before we can start the procedure. Because in this procedure, that's why we are like working to open the airway. But the procedure might be so harsh to the airway, it might cause what we do not expect, which is the adverse effect. There could be more adverse effects that we do not expect or we do not want in the condition, or even due to even even when we are like fighting the same effect to not attack the patient now we look at the client o2 saturation and we pour the medication in a small container and attach the device to the medication so you have a little canister um, that is like a funnel you will pour the medication in that canister attach it to the nebulizer and you plug it to the wall or some developer comes with, it, with its own batteries whether it's its own battery or it is a machine or it is um, like i said we're going to use it, it got to have a current that will that will blow the medication within the airway you plug it and you switch it on now the device will have two sources the device has an air source and it has an oxygen source now, so air, you might say air is oxygen, but it has a source that will vent out the air as the air blows into the client nostrils or into the client airway. It has a portion that will provide moisturized air to the nostrils and to the airway to create ease for the client. Now, during the procedure, you have to encourage the client to swallow slowly. Because if the client does not swallow or is not swallowing, the air, the drugs is in the form of like a tiny particles, fine particles. 
it goes into the nostril. If you breathe out or you open your mouth to come out, the air goes to the nose or to the mouth. It comes out through the nose, meaning the drug is not going to work. So the client must open their mouth, allow the air in, and the client must swallow slowly. These are things the nurse must tell the client about. The client must deep breathe in their mouth. Monitor the client during the treatment. Watch him carefully for indication of local trachea or local bronchial effect. Bronchial effect could be bronchospasm or tracheospasm with, with the treatment. We must look at all those indicators that what the person is not going through those uh, problems that we don't want them to go through. We should always assess the client virus sign. We cannot, the long sign, we cannot start an airway uh, aerosol, never like aerosol treatment and we leave the client. The client might flip in a second and if we're not there to manage the client, the client might have serious complications. It can be any medication. Once it has been introduced into the client airway, we must be there from the start to the end. Now, we should be able to assist the family in obtaining and never the, 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 the machine at home. We should teach them how to use the machine in our absence, how to manage the machine, how to shoot or, or, or how, how to like diagnose problem on the machine and what to do if the client has a complication or an adverse effect. What are those things the client, the client is supposed to do or the parents are supposed to do? The parents should be taught about those things. We should be able to recommend various aerosol medication that the client will need just in case there's an average effect. Now, these are things we need to do for the client. Then we have the metal dose inhaler and the dry powder inhaler. Now, for this particular uh, area, I'm going to skip it and I will want you to look at it. Um, now, the MD and the DP are the metal dose inhaler and the dry powder inhaler. This comes a lot. These two, con these two procedures come a lot in drag and drag. Please, it is incumbent upon us to remember this procedure from A to Z. We should remember it very, very well. In order to remember this procedure, we should open our books and perform the procedure in front of the mirror. We, we should be able to demonstrate the procedure several times in front of the mirror from A to Z. The more we demonstrate to ourselves in front of the mirror, the better we become acquainted with the procedure. We have to, we have to understand what we want to do. We have to stay in the mirror and read the procedure on, on a sheet of paper. We study it over and over and we stay and do the procedure from start to end. You remove the cap of the inhaler. You shake the inhaler five to six times. You attach the spacer. Um, Encourage, especially for children, to at uh, to, to facilitate proper uh, proper proper inhalation. So, if we attach a spacer that comes between the mouth and that of the medication, we want to introduce proper inhalation. That's why we are putting in the spacer on the canister, and the medication is uh, on the medication between the medication and, and the mouth. That's why we are we are like uh, encouraging the client to have. A spacer to introduce the medication in a hole to the client airway. Then we hold the inhaler with the mouthpiece at the bottom, and then we ensure the child on the MDI placement techniques. 
open morph method and we have the closed morph method. Now, this I can still I say this from now till the world comes to an end. You will not understand unless you take it upon yourself, you stand in front of the mirror, or you do it, you got like a memorize the procedure. You need to memorize the procedure because it, that's the only way you're gonna know this procedure. Is there is no way to go around to know this procedure is to pick up something in your house, like a like a cup or or a tube. You do the procedure over and over in your house, in your bathroom, in front of the mirror, the dresser. Just keep doing it and you understand how the procedure is done. Also, for the DPI, the dry powder inhaler, we have to perform it over and over. It's in the similar book. The more we do it, the better acquainted we become with this procedure. We have to do them. Um, these procedures, the MDI and the P and the DPI, they have complications. One of the complications could be what we call um moniliasis or trust. Um, the procedure could lead to moniliasis, moniliasis, or oral trust or trust that might come about like we have like a candidiasis. It also called it might create um viral infection in our mouth due to inhaling this medication. So we have to rinse the mouth after the procedure. Um, we also have to look at other things that we like we cannot in introduce this medication to our, to our system so fast because if we do it faster it's going to create problem we're going to have um uh we're going to have uh poor coordination and we'll have we'll be like losing our breath if we do it faster so we ensure that we ensure the child uses the inhaler with the proper techniques um in the formal infection we want to assess the mouth for signs of infection want to assist the child with raising the mouth after the drugs have been administered. These are things we want to, do. We want to educate the child and the parents to clean the MDI and the spacer after each use. We want to do that and to have the child to rinse the mouth well, with water or expector, uh, expectorates. These are important tips for the ankles. Then we have the chest PT. Now, the chest PT, CPT, or chest facial therapy. Now, many at times, doctors will order a nebulized aerosol therapy along with the chest PT. And many at times, we will do the nebulized therapy first before doing the chest PT. Why? Because in our airway, when we have airway congestion, the nebulized aerosol therapy goes in and loosen up the thick secretion, those thick mycolex secretion within the airway. After they have been loosened up, then the chest PT will collect the, the thick secretion from various portions of the lungs. Then after that, it will come to the central airway. Then the next procedure we can do in there is the cough assist. So we do cough assist to put out or to take out the secretion that has been accumulated within the central airway. Or we might either do suction to pull out the thick secretion that has been accumulated within the central airway. So the procedure goes in this fashion. Uh, the procedures go in this fashion. Now, the chest physiotherapy, it is a set of techniques 
that includes manual or mechanical percussion, vibration, cough or cough exercise, cough coughing, or huffing. Like you huff out the cough in the chest. That's about the chest physiotherapy. So it helps to like to collect the various mucus uh, secretion in the corners of the lungs. It, it collects them and pull them toward the central airway so that when we cough, sometimes you remember, even there are times that we have cough in our chest. When we do, we take deep breath, the cough will sound. But when we cough, the cough cannot come out. Simply because the cough, the mucus uh, secretion, they are in the very corners of the lungs. Now, that's what happened in, in the case of COVID-19. In COVID-19, the viral attacks the lungs. The viral creates uh, create a bad product that is mucus-like. Now, these babbles that are created by the, virus, by the viruses, they are so thick, they're going to stick in the corner of the lungs. They will stick in the lungs corner. The lungs cannot have good or proper airway exchanges. So when this happens, the lung becomes congested and it destroys the lung because as they cover the lungs feel, the bottom portion of the lungs are not being exposed to O2. So as it is covered, it destroys the lungs in those areas. Then even after the COVID-19 is treated, now the client can go into COVID-19 complications. So we need this medication. Now, unfortunately, in this case, these drugs that we're talking about here, they can be insignificant when it comes to COVID-19 complications with airway problem. That's what happened uh, 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 in COVID-19. So, but in other minor problems or other problems that are not COVID-19 related, so this medication can help us to loosen the secretion within the airway to put them out. Then we'll use the chest physiotherapy to put this, uh, this, this take secretion out. So, Gravity and positioning loosen chest physiotherapy, uh, loosen the secretion and move it into the central area where they can be eliminated by coughing, suctioning, or excessive uh, uh, vibration, which can help them to what to pull it out. So, there are two ways we do chest, uh, chest PT either we do it with our hand manually or with a cough, with a cup or we use a machine. Now, in the manual chest physiotherapy, we use our cup hand to knock the chest, to percol the chest for at least five minutes in this fashion to loosen all the secretion in our, in, in our chest at the back of our, at the back. We do like for five minutes and it will help to loosen the, the, the thick mucus secretion in there. That's one way. Or we use um we use product, we use the machine. The machine could be a vest. So we can put on a vest, put our hands in the vest, the vest just cover our chest from our diaphragm coming to our shoulder blade. That's how the, that's where the vest is gonna stop. We'll we'll put the vest on that you have like a the life jacket. That's how the vest looks like, like a life jacket that, that you use to swim in the water. So we have the vest, the vest has an area that you have a tubing, a very big tubing that is attached to the, to the vest. And that tubing is like what we use to vacuum our car. That's how the tubing looks like. So the tubing, when you plug the, the machine, the machine blows air into the vest and creates vibration. 
So that sound, that vibration will keep pushing, collecting the secretion in the airway and locating them or taking them to the central airway so that we can put them out. That's what happened in this case. Sometimes, if sometimes there's no vest, they have another tag that you just put around the chest, like a, like a, like a, not a vest, but like a um, wrap around. So you rub it around the chest, it has a, uh, a velcro that is attached to it, and you plug it, it creates vibration, it removes secretion from all the lungs, corners, and bring it into the central airway. After the chest PT, then we we'll do the cough assist or we'll do suction to remove the section in the airway. So these things occur for people who are bedridden, people who are not bedridden, but they are finding it difficult to work to, 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 to put out the cough so we can do it for them. Now, a good way to see what I'm talking about, if you have not seen it, go to YouTube and put in chest PT, chest specific therapy, and you will see different videos about them. You'll see the manual test. And the one that is used with uh with the machines now um we must understand the nursing implication the nursing consideration the nursing intervention for this procedure to the letter because the NCLEX will bring them in teaching style question and if we are not able to have it or uh, known to study it to know it when it comes in the, in the test it will look like greek to us so in this case, you want to schedule the treatment before meals at least one hour before meal or at bedtime to decrease the likelihood of vomiting or aspirating. You cannot just get the client full and you create chest vibration. The client will aspirate. Um, you want to administer a bronchodilator or nebulizer treatment before the postural drainage, like the chest therapy, like I said, because when you introduce the nebulite aerosol therapy, it helps the client to what to loosen up the secretion. That's the rationale. So the implant might say, what would the nurse do first when a nurse, a client who cannot expectorate? What would the nurse do first? The nurse has uh, the chest therapy. The nurse has an aerosol, uh, a, a nebulite aerosol therapy. What would the nurse do? The nurse must use the nebulizer first to loosen the secretion in the chest before going for the chest PT. Now, we want to, we want to also, um, the, reco the recombinant hemon uh, deoxyribonucleus can also be used to decrease the efficacy of the mucus. Over the child and MSS basin and facial tissue, if the child is having this problem, the child would needs the, the, the child needs an innocent basin and a fit to because when the child will, when the child cough and pull out the cough, you need to wet the child mouth. During the procedure, you have to perform hand hygiene, create privacy, explain to the explain the procedure to both the child and the parents. You want to also ensure that the child is positioned properly. The child can be in a sitting position or in a semi-follow position when we are doing this procedure. The child cannot be in a supine position for this particular chest physiotherapy. Um, apical section of the of the upper lobes. I'm this. I had a point that I want to share with you. I'm so sorry. Let me, let me get take a pause. Um, we had a question yesterday. One of those questions that talks about 
the herbs point, the herbs point, the um the angle of Lewis, the angle of Lewis, the Zyver process. Now, if you look on the chest of on our chest, there are various points. There are various anatomical points on the chest. Please know that. Go to YouTube or Google Google various anatomical points, various anatomical points on the chest or on the thoracic cavity. Because the anchor will give question like oh, they'll give you a picture of the entire thoracic cavity and ask you to locate the herbs point, to locate the apical pulse, to locate um the apex of the heart, to locate the base of the heart, to locate where the aorta of the heart is located, to, to locate where you have the mitral valve. We should all know this point on the chest for the entrance. That's just a tip that I forgot to talk, talk, talk about yesterday and I just got uh, reminded. Now, apical section of the of the upper lobes. Now, when we are doing the physiotherapy of the, 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 the CPT, there are various points on the chest wall that we want to like, try to, like, um, to locate these points. One of the points is um, when the child is in a follow position, the apical section of the upper lobes is accessible. When the child is in a sitting position, the posterior section of the upper lobes are also accessible. Um, when the child is in a supine and slightly rotated position, the child will, will have access to the child anterior segment of both upper lobes. When the child is in a prone position with the hips elevated with pillows, the superior segment of both lower lobes are accessible. Now, this is important for nurses, for our ends. The various positions when we are doing the CPT, it is important to know what are we, what are we trying to assess, what are we having access to when we are doing this chest, the, the, the chest PT. The apical section of the upper lobes, the posterior section of the upper lobes, the anterior segment of the of both upper lobes and the superior segment of both upper lobes. Those are four different uh, categories of upper lobe assessment when it comes to the chest physiotherapy. We apply a minor precaution with our cupped hand. Our cupped hand. What I'm talking about? It's called a cupped hand because the, the hand is made in this form like a cup and will create the percussion that's how we do that's how we do it for this therapy we also use the electronic tech that i talk about you can see that on youtube how the child remain in each posterior genus position for at least 20 to 30 minutes 20 to 30 minutes to allow time for percussion vibration and postural drainage Individualize the, the, the position and use the duration and frequency of the treatment. You discontinue the procedure at any point in time. The child feels fitness or the child is having shortness of breath or the child feels dizzy. You must stop the procedure at any point in time. If you experience any one of these things happening to the child, you must stop the procedure right away. So this is this is um, how we go on to do the chest physiotherapy. It is important for us to know it. Any questions so far? 
Just look at O2 therapy, oxygen therapy. Now, O2 therapy. Now, um, O2 therapy increases the O2 concentration of the air that is being breathed. So as we breathe in out, we take in O2 and put out CO2. This can help us to maintain our body perfusion. It helps us to keep our arterial blood gases at normal range. It helps us to make our organs in our body to be fully functional and healthy. Because all of our organs have cells. And all of our cells need O2 to survive. So when we are deprived from having O2, our organs, our cells will be a problem. And when they are a problem, the tissues become also, get also a problem. Then the next thing is those organs. So that's how important it is for us to have good O2 saturation. Now, <clears throat> another thing under here is um, O2 can be delivered through so many mediums. We can use, um, <clears throat> we can use, um, nasal cannula to um, introduce O2 to our body. We can use face masks to introduce O2 to our body. We can also use um, face tint to introduce O2 to our body. We can use the CPAP. CPAP, we can use the bar pad to introduce O2 to our body. No, no, no drum between C part and bar part. I have seen the anchors question that they, they asked for. The, the client asked the, <clears throat> the nurse, why is it that he has then uh, ordered to get the C part, uh, the bar part instead of the C part? The bar part is the, the, the machine delivers two categories of air, of air concentr uh, concentration. Now, in this case, Client who cannot breathe on their own to, to, to exhale. So we get them BAPA. BAPA has two different airway concentrations. So when you are breathing in, the force the air will go, will, will enter, the force the air will use to enter the airway, it is not the same force the air will use when you are like breathing out or when you are breathing in. So when you breathe in, the machine will deliver higher air concentration and when you are breathing out the machine will deliver lower air concentration for the bypass for the CPAP it has only one airway concentration whether you are breathing in or you are breathing out the air remains the same that's the basic difference between the CPAP and the bypass when you look at them from the airway point of view we also use a hood we use a hood to deliver O2, we can also use mechanical ventilator, um, MV, to deliver O2 to our system. So there are several means. Now, I want us to look at these means, each one of these medium, one at a time, to know how do we use them. The nasal cannula, what are the advantages and disadvantages using nasal cannula? Clients who have um, claustrophobia, they might not use the, the face marks because they might go into uh, into panic attack or other phobic attacks. So they might use the nasal cannula. 
is a girl that has a good and bad side. <clears throat> one of the good side is what I get talking about claustrophobia. Another one is it's easy. When you have it on, you can talk, you can eat without problem. The face mask delivers a more concentrated air compared to the basic color. The face mask, um, you cannot have it on and talk. You cannot have it on and eat. You gotta remove it to talk and eat when you have the face mask. The face tint for also individuals who having claustrophobia that need a particular O2 who can help to breathe on their own, then the face tint can come in to help them. The C part, the bad part sometimes is just for a time. When the client is going to bed, we put the C part on and we have a water in there to create moisture or to create humidification of the airway. That's why we're gonna use the, the C part. The, the wood, the MV, the MV is a higher one. When the client cannot breathe, when the client has tracheostomy, sometimes the MV can be used to deliver air into the airway. So these are different methods of using uh, of airway uh, of, of, of airway management. Everything has different do's and don'ts. Now, in airway management, um, humidification humidification helps to to moist to moisturize to moisten our airway. Now, the reason why we are doing the kind of airway system they talk about humidifier air is important because. Um, you know when you are breathing in, just take for example when, the, when you're in a car and you're sitting at a car window or the, where, where the car windshield is and the windshield is is, 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 is is lower down and the car is speeding, what happened to you? You cannot breathe well. The air will like go into your nose and your nostrils will become dry because the air that you are breathing in there, that dry air, does not contain humidification. So when the air does not contain humidification, it creates dryness in our nostrils and the airway gets dried. Then we start to feel discomfort in our airway. Now, so the humidifier air, when you breathe in humidifier air, it creates moisturization or it moistens the airway and prevents airway discomfort. That's why these machines, there are some machines, there are some face masks, there are some airway or management system that do not contain moisturized air. The client must have a different bed on the mat that will deliver moisture or, or, or humidifier air. There are some masks that come with humidification. You do not need humidifier air from any, any other source. So we're gonna look at this thing, but we'll get to it in, uh, I think it's in fundamental, when discussing the viral air or in message, we'll talk about it. Now, um, so we so like a hypoxemia hypoxemia is when we've de, we've been deprived of airway of, of, of o2 it lead up to hypoxemia now in hypoxemia there is an inadequate level of o2 in the blood once we are having hypoxemia there will be low amount of o2 in the blood and there are early signs and there are late signs this these signs come in the ankles a lot. You have early signs of hypoxemia and you have the left sign. So don't look at hypoxemia early sign. Hypoxemia early signs are one, the first thing that you're gonna have tachycardia because the heart 
will start to pound faster to catch up with the low level of O2 in the blood. That's why you're going to have such a kind of, it is a method or it is a mechanism that the body use or the, uh, that, that the body will use to catch up with uh, airway problems. Then you have, sorry, tachypnea. Tachypnea before tachycardia. You have tachypnea fast breath rate. Then you have tachycardia coming as a second sound coming in. Then you're going to have restlessness. Then you have pile of the skin and of the mucous membrane. Then you have respiratory distress. That's when you're going to see the accessory muscle coming into work. Because when you have poor O2 and other things in the blood, you will have distress. And the symptom of this distress, uh, this distress include you have nasal flaring. So you have once nasal flaring. Please write this down and remember them very well. Nasal flaring, that's one. Two, you're going to have trachea, um, trachea tugging. You have trachea tugging. You're going to also have adventitious lung sound. You're going to have adventitious lung sound. You have that. Then you're going to have the use of the accessory muscle, use of accessory muscle, like the diaphragm. You start to have these things coming. Now, these are signs or evidence of respiratory distress. So these four symptoms are symptoms or signs of respiratory distress. So when you see this, there is a respiratory um, distress coming in. These are called respiratory distress symptoms. Nasal flaring, tracheal tugging, adventitial lung sounds, and use of accessory muscles. The diaphragm. Now, this will not come like how I'm saying them. When a client is having hypoxemia or any airway problem, the the the, the is not going to say airway discomfort or or or, or hypoxemia. The angler will say a client having the following symptoms the client is having nasal flaring or the nose is like pulsating the client is having trigger trachea targeting the client now they might not use the word adventitious lung sound they might give one of the adventitious lung sound as an example they might give like wheezes like they might give like a crackles wrong car they will give one of those adventitious lung sound in the question and they will ask you what's the management in this case they give you symptoms of a condition and they are asking you what's the management so you must be able to figure out that the symptoms that you are receiving these are symptoms of what or respiratory distress which could be hypoxemia asphyxiation dyspnea bronchoconstriction cystic fibrotic condition or any other airway discomfort problems it could be it so we have to figure out these signs or these symptoms to pick them out that and that to know that these are airway problem then we'll know exactly what can we do so if we have in hypoxemia what we go for airway therapy in this case so that's how the question is going to come in the English. so we'll be thinking thinking very very 
fast in the end to, to allow this symptom. So the early signs and symptoms of airway discomfort or hypoxema include tachypnea, include tachycardia, pile of the skin, and you're going to have or, or respiratory discomfort. So there are four early signs: tachypnea, tachycardia, pile, and you will have or respiratory distress. Now in the respiratory distress, you will have these four symptoms that will fall under respiratory distress as the early signs of hypoxemia. Then we have the late signs. The late signs of hypoxemia include um, confusion and stupor. Now the client becomes confused. Confusion and stupor. The client becomes stuporous. In this case, that's one. Two, then you have cyanosis. Now we must know these things. Nobody go into respiratory distress and you become, your skin become completely bluish just from a minute. No, you must go through the stages when our body has failed to recoup what we, what we are going through, the distress scene we are going through, the end result will be bluish coloration, discoloration of the skin, which is cyanosis. But it cannot be the first symptom. And I might ask you, a, a child is having a distress symptom, symptom so, or syndrome, why is it? What's the first sign the nurse will pick up? They will have cyanosis, pylo, tachypnea, tachycardia. The first thing that will be fast breathing, which is tachypnea. And the last thing that will be happening will be the one that you can see on the body because when the cells have failed to get the requisite amount of O2 to live well, so that our body organ, our body part will manifest those symptoms. Those are the little signs that we're going to see in the ankles. So in the end class, we must understand certain things. We must understand the question, how the questions are being given to us. What are we looking for in these question options? They are very important. If we understand these things, we, it becomes easier for us to pass the question in the end class. But we have to understand this rationale in the book, in black and white writings, and we have to transform this black and white writing into skillful thinking. If you cannot do critical thinking, you cannot pass the English. The English requires us to think critically. And the critical thinking skills we should be able to put on starts from right here. We should know that there are some at least some just think when you are if you if, if you a dream and you get choked with the water you're drinking, what happened to you first? Or when you cannot breathe, what happened to you first? You'll be like trying to catch your breath. <sighs> That's the first thing you do. That is tachypnea. These things happen to us. So in the end class, we think on real life situations. We do not overthink, we do not underthink. We think what the question says and do exactly an, an analysis of what the question is bringing to us. And we can learn these things from the book and also from attempting to do other questions along the way. So let's let signs include bradypenia. Then we're gonna have bradypenia. Bradypenia is a late sign. Then we're going to have bradycardia. Bradycardia is a late, another late sign in hypoxemia. Then we're going to have now we might either have hypo or we might have hypertension. These are now other late signs and symptoms that 
the body will develop when we cannot have enough O2 in our blood to saturate, then we're going to have this late sun symptom. But until then, the earliest signs are tachypnea, we're going to have uh, tachycardia, we're going to have restlessness, we're going to have pilot. Those are our earliest signs. And we're going to have uh, our, our respiratory distress, where we're going to have the use of the accessory muscles, we're going to have nasal flaring. We're going to have like a trachea tongue and we'll have those adventitious breath sound being heard on auscultation. In this case, we want to warm the oxygen to prevent hypothermia. We want to use a calm, non-threatening approach. The child is already having the stress. We cannot make a child to cry. If the child cries in these procedures, it only exacerbates the conditions. It does not help us at all. So when a child is crying, the child heart rate will increase. And as the heart rate increase, definitely our body will not have adequate perfusion. We want to explain all the procedure in pediatric to both the child and the mother or the parent or the guardians. There are some procedures we even go to the extent asking the parent to do the procedure if it will cause the child to be quiet and save us the child's life, the child save us time, and the procedure can be done by anybody. The mother should perform the procedure with the nurse supervision. Um, we should ensure that the equipment is working properly. We should do the pre-procedure equipment assessment and the pre-procedure patient assessment. That is the virus sign. Provide the O2 at the lowest level, and then we um and we sort of carry up to treat it at higher and higher and higher. It starts from the lower level and we carry it up for O2 therapy. We assess and monitor lung sounds and respiratory rates, respiratory rhythm, and the effort to determine the need for supplemental oxygenation. We do not allow O2 to blow directly into the infant face, into the infant's face. We change the leaning and the bearings or clothing frequently. We monitor the child's temperature closely in an O2 tent for, for hypothermia. We assess and monitor the O2 status with pulse oximetry and ABGs at all point in time, at any point in time. The child is undergoing auto therapy. The child must always have the pulse being recorded, because the pulse, the the pulse tells us whether the therapy is being done, whether the client is receiving the O2 or not. We must always assess these things. And I tell you one thing: in nursing, sometimes we learn a lot from the classroom that we cannot exhibit at the job site. And when it comes to auto therapy. In nursing, you got to be attentive. If you are never somebody who pays pay attention to things, when you become a nurse, you got to be observant. You got to be attentive. Do not take anything for fun. Do not take anything when it comes to policy. Don't take it lightly. When they tell you, do 50 minute check on the client. Whether in a place where you have the hospital, where you have cameras, you got to serve like you are serving your parents. 
or your mom is dying and she needs your help. Because anything goes wrong, whether it is negligent or not, they will want to investigate what went wrong. And even if it was never done with the intention of creating harm to the client, but once you made a mistake or you lie or you create false things somewhere, that alone will create a big problem for you in your English or, or in your nursing career. These procedures, they are very important. They are very important. They have standing orders and they have start orders where you have a client to take care of. Because the airway procedure, they have standing orders. And you must be the one, if you're a nurse and you have a UAP, a UAP under your, under your supervision, who's supposed to check on a patient every 15 minutes, if that UAP fill the check on the patient, definitely you are the one who is going to be held out because you are the one who controlling the unit or the war, the UAPs are under your care. So if you are a charged nurse on the floor, something goes wrong, they come to ask you, they don't want to ask the UAPs. You are the one who is under the so if you daddy gets a procedure on the unit, you are equally responsible for that procedure. That's why the nurse must first of all build a good rapport with the UAPs or the other people on under on on hospital vision to have a good work environment. These things are very important in on the field of, 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 of nursing. They are so important. So we want to make sure we assess the client nutritional status, we assess the client motor skills integrity, we assess the we assess our monitor and document respond to O2 therapy. We treat the O2 to maintain the prescribed O2 saturation. It is very important to always treat the O2 to this to the point that it will provide or it will yield the adequate O2 needs. Of the child, we discontinue the O2 gradually. We do not cut it off. No, we discontinue it gradually. We we taper it downward until it reaches its minimum level. Then we deceit it. For the O2 tent, there are do's and don'ts when you have an O2 because it is combustible. So in that case, we do not smoke while the O2 is in effect. Know where the closest fire extinguisher is when you are using an O2 machine. You want to make sure you know where the, you want to have the child wear a cotton gown, not synthetic gown, not those polyester material. They should be cotton in nature. Um, you avoid toys that can induce a spark. You also do not use volatile Filmable materials um, like alcohol acetone near the near the children who are receiving O2 or near the child who is receiving O2. These are very important tips about the for the anklets. Want to educate the child and others and others about fire hazard when you have O2 in use. O2 can have another complication we call O2 toxicity, wherein we are providing higher air to the client more than requirement it can cause o2 toxicity if the client needs uh six liter of air and you get 10 liter it can cause o2 toxic effect to the client 
um, you will also have nasal suctioning. Oh, I'm sorry. We, under here, we can also use the lowest level of O2 necessary to maintain an oxygen saturation to maintain it. To monitor, we're going to monitor the ABGs to, to keep it at a normal pH when we are using O2 therapy. These are things we must do to keep ourselves in line with all the do's and don'ts about O2 inhalation. Any questions so far? Any question? Suctioning can be accomplished orally, nasally, endotracheally, or through a tracheal stomach tubing. So we can suction a client orally through the mouth, nasally through the nose, and they can be suctioned through an endotracheal opening or they can be suctioned through a trachea stomach tubing through a trachea tubing these are the four ways you can suction a client now um whether it is through any of the four ways there are different do's and don'ts for the mouth we use a clean technique for the mouth, for oral suctioning and nasal suctioning, we use a clean technique. For the nasal, we use the mush, what we call the mushroom, the mushroom tip tether. That is for the nasal, we use what we call mushroom, mushroom tip. That's how we use the suction for the, for the nasal character. Now, for the oral, we use the hard tip. We use a hard, H-A-R-D, hard tip characterization or character for the oral suctioning. For the nasal, we use the mushroom tip. For the oral, we use the hard tip character. That's the two different, that's the two kind of character we use in oral and nasal suctioning. Now, um, we insert inside of the mouth, in the various side. For the oral, we put the tip of the catheter in the side of the mouth, not in the root, not at the back of the throat, but in the side of the mouth, in the jaw. So the client, the client is lying up on the right or left lateral position, and we suction the corner of the jaw or the mouth. Um, for the endotracheal and the trachea suctioning, that's where we'll spend a little time because this has so much things to know about. So for the trachea, for the trachea, um, the trachea and the endotracheal suctioning, the endotracheal suctioning, um, <clears throat> for the pre-procedure nursing action, Want to perform hand hygiene, create privacy, and explain the procedure to the client. That is normal for all conditions, all procedures. We want to dump on a personal protective equipment. We put on PPEs. We assist the child to a high fowler position. Um, we assist to a fowler or a high fowler position for 
when we are about to search them through a trachea or an endotracheal opening. Now, we also go ahead and perform through a trachea stomach or endotracheal tube. We select a catheter with a diameter that is smaller than, than the opening. So we choose a catheter. So if, um, if the lumen of the trachea of, of the trachea stomach or the endotracheal stomach is um, this wide, like five centimeter, we'll choose a catheter that is 2.5. If it is six centimeter, we'll choose three centimeter catheter. So the catheter should be half the size of the opening when it comes to trachea or endotrachea suction. That's one thing we should know about, about it. We also ask the client to assist us or ask for assistance when we are doing the endotrachea or the trachea suction. We hyper-oxygenate and hyper-ventilate the child using a bag valve max, which is a tether or a specialized ventilator functioning with the F1, the F10 or tubing. That is, we also we always at any point that we are doing in the trachea structuring, we want to hyperventilate or hyper oxygenate before we can do the endotracheal or the trachea suction. Now we want to obtain a baseline breath sound, a baseline breath rate. To be used as a guideline or guidance when we are doing either the trachea or the endotracheal surgery. So when anything goes wrong, we use the baseline to know that it is it is increasing or it is decreasing. That is the breath rate is increasing or it is decreasing. We can know that just by knowing the breath, just 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 by knowing the baseline virus sign. Wanna use a correct aseptic technique. We want to use surgical aseptic, surgical um, aseptic technique, surgical aseptic technique when we are using the trachea or the endotracheal um, methods. We want to maintain ongoing assessment of the airway, O2 saturation as we suction. Now, Whenever you are suctioning an, uh, an endotracheal opening, when you put in the suction tube in, that's why you do not stay more than 10 seconds when you are suctioning a client. Because if you do that, the client will be deprived of airway exchanges. So you go in, you just go in faster, you come out. Because if you stay in, what happened? The, the prop on the pulse, the pulse oxygenatory prop. Those are the alarm because as you search on the client, the client will be having uh this thing, the client will have airway or uh, the client will have post saturation because the client is breathing through that opening. So if you go there, the in the session, the machine is also pulling out secretion. So as it pulls out secretion with air around there, it constricts the airway, it makes the airway to get narrower, and the client will, and, and then the alarm will, from the post oximetry will alarm. Pam, pam, that's why you don't stay long to search on the client. In this case, now you also limit the time to less than ten seconds for children and five seconds for 
adults, I'm sorry, for infants. So you should not go above 10 seconds for children. Should not go above five seconds for infants. For adults, it's between 30 seconds to 60 seconds for adults. So you do not go above those variations when it comes to suctioning. Because if you do that, then you are going into, um, into I'm, I'm sorry. So for adult, for other for other children is ten is ten seconds. Other children is ten seconds. For infants is five seconds. Now for every time you for every time you do the suctioning, you allow the client to rest for at least half a minute or one full minute, and you go back to do it. So you don't just keep suctioning back to back to back. It's going to create respiratory distress for the client. So these are things you look at for the condition. Now, when it comes to artificial airway, which is the tracheostomy, tracheostomy is an artificial airway. Now, under here, there are things we have to look at under here keenly. Tracheostomy for children, it is a huge thing to do. That's why if you are being paid $10 an hour, to be a nurse, if you are doing a, a, a future airway climb, they're going to add extra followers to your money because many people doing home health nursing, they would not agree to, to, to take care of a trick and vent climb because those clients, they are, their life are on the line when they have the trick and vent to help them to breathe. So that's exactly what happened. So under here, We'll look at um, tracheostomy. Now, tracheostomy is um, what we call artificial airway. So this artificial airway can be created through an elective surgery. It could be done through an emergency surgery. So the client will have other complications. Um, from the airway that the doctor or the HCP will decide to create tracheostomy in that case. That could be an elective surgery. Or there could be an accident that will occur and that will put the child airway at risk. In that case, they must create an emergency artificial airway. So we have emergency tracheostomy. So it could be emergency, it could be elective. Now, um, in the case of epiglottitis, crew, foreign body aspiration, we do emergency airway opening. So in the case of epiglottitis, epiglottitis, in the case of crew, C-R-O-U-P, in the case of, uh, like in the case of foreign body aspiration, foreign body aspiration, would do emergency airway opening. Emergency trick is what we do in, in those conditions. Um, then we have other procedures. The client could do um, scheduled surgical procedure, which is elective. The client was, they could do scheduled procedures. Now a trick is the stomach. You hear the word trick is the stomach, is the opening created. That's what we call a trick. 
So the trach is what we call the stoma. Just by opening the hole is the stoma because stoma in your mean an opening. Now it's, it's just the incision. Now, um, <clears throat> for the airway, artificial airway can be placed oral tracheally, nasal tracheally, or through a tracheostomy to assist with aspiration. The piece trach tubes may be made out of plastic or silastic. Or can have an acute angle for other tube. So there are different materials can be used to create a tube. Now, whenever there's an airway, there's an upper airway obstruction, like from here upward, there's a problem, and we cannot have air delivered into the lungs. So indeed, we go that we we'll go down here and create the opening in the tracheal. So we call the tracheal an opening created, an incision created in here to allow airway or gaseous exchanges. That's what happened in this uh, in the case of L or in this in the case of tracheostomy. Now, under here, when we before we do the before we do the procedure, we, we should have few considerations. We want to try to assess or monitor perfusion of oxygen. We want to monitor ventilation, which will include respiratory rate, respiratory effort, the saturation of oxygen in the body. Virus signs hourly, look at the thickness, the odor, the quantity of the mucus secretion. The stomach and the skin surrounding, look at it for signs of information of, of infection, which include redness, swelling, and drainage. These are all signs of infection when we have a tracheostomy done on the body. Now, in the tracheostomy, um, there are few dimensions that I want to remember very well. Um, when the trick is on, um, we want to provide adequate humidification to continually moisturize uh, or humidify the airway towards the lungs. Like I said, if you, if you do not use a humidifier, the air will become dry and will create discomfort to the patient. So you want to always create humidifier air. Um, do not suction the air, the trick routinely. It is not for routine, it's for PRN. When the client has secretion in the airway and you will hear that by the sound of the trick, when you hear that noisy sound, meaning there is fluid accumulating within the airway, there is secretion in there, you go in and suction. It is not to suction ever too many. No. It is only for PRN. When you buy the client and you hear that sound or you hear the alarm going up, meaning the child needs to be suctioned, you go in and suction for five seconds for infants, 10 seconds for children and adults. Now, you want to, you, 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 you want to um, assess for the need of suctioning which include like uh, when there's a crackle, when there's an audible or noisy secretion, when there is restlessness, there is tachypnea, there is tachycardia, you want to go in and suction because when the client is having airway obstruction, these are things that are going to be happening to the client. Tachypnea, tachycardia, restlessness, noisy breath sound. you hear these things or you see them as the child is undergoing the stress of airway problem.
you will stay, you go in, and the moment you suction, it goes away. Or you see the pulse oximeter alarming, palm, palm, the pulse ox, the pulse radio drop. When there is an airway, the execution within the airway, the saturation will drop. It's so effective. And the moment it drops below 89, you hear palm, palm, you go in and suction, it gets cleared up. Definitely, the saturation goes back to normal level. That's how effective it is. Now, you want to make sure you maintain a surgical aseptic techniques while you are doing the procedure um, to prevent infection. You want to provide emotional support to the child and the parents. You want to provide oral hygiene every two hours. Clean the mouth because the child will have the saliva, the spit coming all in the mouth. You to clean the mouth, pull, vaseline the child's lip to give the child a facial lift. Now, um, we will do a, we will do an in-depth analysis on this airway, airway therapy. We will do the other type. Now, because there are different types of machines, you have the cough machine, the one that has a cough. The cough is wherein you have a fluid that you put into the tubing to inflate the cough in here. Now, you have the one that is coughless. You want you have the one that is coughless with fenestration, meaning with tiny opening. You have the one that is coughless without fenestration. You want the one that you have the one that has a cough with fenestration and the one that has a cough without fenestration. They are different types. But uh, we'll think of that when we get to the other conditions, we're gonna go in depth. You can look at it in the book. The book talk, the book look, look 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 at it on the surface. You can read it and know about them. When you are having, um, there are things that I will talk about in the other type. When let me just give a a, a, a little a brief description of how it, how it works. So we have what we call decanalization with the cough or with the trick. It's like a it gets dislodged. Meaning it moves from in the tubing, leave from in the stomach. Now there are two things going to happen. Um, it is an emergency if the opening was created less than three days or seventy-two hours. In this case, if the cough gets dislodged, you will need to call the doctor to put the cover because the tissues around there are still very fragile the soul is still is still new so to get the cough back into the opening into the airway it takes a huge problem to put it back if it has spent more than 72 hours in that case we do a particular procedure and we need the equipment there are equipment we need to be by the bedside for every trick and vent patient we need those equipment so we'll never just come when we'll get there and we'll tell you what can we do when there's an occlusion. When there is a decanulation, uh, we'll look at everything. You can go ahead and look at it in the book, but we'll look at it when we get to it. Because I want to, it takes like almost like an hour to go through it from start to end in message. Any question on what we just discussed?